Well, good morning, friends. Uh, it is a joy to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield, those here at 930, as well as those uh, in the Well Cafe. Um, if we have not met, my name is David. Uh, I serve as a senior pastor here, despite uh, what you may be thinking right now. If you are brand new, um, a couple things I want you to know. Uh, first, this is not normal. Um, uh, the second thing I would want you to know is, again, if we haven't met, uh, my personality is literally the exact opposite of what I'm wearing, okay? Uh, I have introduced myself before as the most boring person in the world, and that's not an exaggeration, but um, we started this a couple years ago in part because uh, we wanted to do something different at, at Christmas, we, uh, and churches all over tend to do this. We, uh, we tend to focus on the stress of Christmas, you know, and, and what we talk about each weekend, which you know, we just decided we're just adding to the stress <laughs> by lifting up every weekend. Let's talk about the joy of Christmas. And so uh, this was one of the ideas and it just won't go away. Um, <laughs> a couple of things uh, that, have, that have happened thus far. Last night, uh, Saturday night before the message, you know, right there, the, uh, the video ends, the lights didn't come on. And my feelings got hurt a little bit. Like, they didn't even want to turn them on. It's like, I, we're not, we're, we want to, as, as little time as possible. Um, this morning, someone told me, this is the best one yet. And I said, well, that's a relative term. I mean, that, that's something, saying something about the other two. And then last Saturday night, uh, one of the children who helped light the Advent candles, uh, he, he turned to mom. He said, mom, I didn't know Pastor David was one of Santa's helpers. So, uh, great, great comments. This is, this is my Christmas gift to you. Hope you, uh, hope you enjoy this gift. Um, I want to say a word about all of our Christmas Eve services. You just heard about our family Christmas services. We have 12 services on both the 23rd and the 24th. Lots of opportunities for you to be a part of one of our candlelight services. Lots of opportunities for you to invite others to one of these 12 uh, Christmas Eve services. So, uh, I want you to know what they are, not only for the sake of your family and your plans, but also as you share that invitation with others. So 10, 2, 4, 6, and 8. Will you say that with me? 10, 2, 4, 6, and 8. Those services on both the 23rd and the 24th will be identical. So family uh, Christmas services, again, which you just heard about, contemporary services, uh, and our traditional services at 8 o'clock. In addition, on the 24th, we'll have 10 p.m., and the 11.30 which, uh, service, which is a 30-minute service, uh, we share communion at that service and end uh, with Silent Night and, and Candlelight as we do with all the other 11 services. Uh, I want to point out just a few things to you. Four, six, and eight. Uh, those three hours on the 24th are always the hours where every seat in our sanctuary is full. And so if for you and your family, if, if the 23rd would work for you, particularly at those three hours, we'd love for you to come on the 23rd, uh, because if you do, you free up a seat for someone who may be experiencing our church for the first time. Now, don't go home and say, the pastor said I couldn't even come to church on Christmas Eve. What's that about? That's not what I'm saying. Just if it works for your schedule, I want you to know that you're blessing somebody. Uh, again, who may be here for the first time uh, and experiencing our church for the first time, uh, enabling them to not have that seat way, way over there uh, in the corner where they can't really see. So we, uh, we look forward to welcoming uh, thousands for Christmas Eve and, and you not only serving to, to welcome them at, at the services, uh, but you inviting is, is what makes that blessing happen. So thank you for that and, and just know that we, we can't wait uh, for a great, great Christmas Eve. Uh, we are in a series focused on uh, what I would describe as 
uh, our favorite hymn of the Christmas season, Joy to the World, 2019, is the 300th anniversary of the publication of this hymn that was written by Isaac Watts. Now, I will confess that we didn't know it was a 300th anniversary when we decided to, uh, to focus on this hymn. What, all we knew was this is a song that we love. This is a song that we, that we associate with Christmas, that we treasure. Uh, we look forward to singing it. When we sing Joy to the World, uh, people belt that song out because it's one uh, that we love so much. We think about Christmas when we think about Joy to the World. So that was, that was the idea, that we wanted to dive into the verses, these, these words that we sing, to really unpack uh, the significant truths that we are proclaiming when we sing Joy to the World. And in doing so, deepen our understanding and our appreciation for this wonderful hymn of faith. Now, I have a conviction that I I bet you would agree with, that I think it's important to know what we're singing. It's important to know what we're singing. As a parent, and parents, you can probably relate to this, I care what music my children are listening to. And I care not just because, you know, I want them to like the genre of music that I like. I care because I want to know what messages they are hearing in the music that is surrounding their lives, the songs that they are singing. It's important to know why we sing, what we're singing, what the message of any particular song is that we find ourselves singing. And that's not only true when it comes to secular songs, it's also true when it comes to the songs that we sing together. When we join together in worship and we lift our voices and we proclaim together truths, it's important for us to know what it is that we are singing. And part of the reason that I mention that is because there are certain songs that we sing that I know when we sing them, when we lift up particular phrases, most of you have no idea what they mean. So let me give you an example uh, from a song that we just sang here at 9.30. I forgot to ask Larissa if y'all are singing at the Well, at the well Cafe today. Where's, where's Larissa? Are we at Well Cafe? Okay, so you sang at the Well Cafe as well. Come thou fount of every blessing. And by the way, I didn't know we were singing that song before I came up with this illustration. I walked in and heard it last night. But that is a beautiful and moving hymn of faith. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I mean, that speaks to our own experience, right? We've all felt that, that, that temptation or, or that tendency to wander in our life, to find ourselves lost in a place we never expected to be. We can, we can all relate to that. But, but then there's that, that verse that begins with these words, here I raise my Ebenezer. And, and you all just sang right through that, right? Like you didn't pause or anything. But I know that most of you are thinking to yourself, does everyone else in this room know what that means? Did, did Charles Dickens, was he like a co-writer uh, here on, on this particular hymn? What does it mean to raise one's Ebenezer? Well, Ebenezer basically means altar, if, if, if you're wondering. So now you know that next time and it won't be quite so uncomfortable. You won't be quite so confused. Uh, but, but that dynamic of not quite knowing exactly what the, the word means or what the meaning means, uh, meaning is that that same thing, I think, is at work in this particular verse that we're looking at today that we sing when we sing Joy to the World. It says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse 
is found. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Now think for just a moment about your favorite Christmas songs. Those songs that are playing in the background, perhaps, for many of you over the course of these weeks. Maybe these are songs that you were listening to in the car. They're songs that you are playing at home uh, while you're decorating or wrapping gifts. These songs that we treasure in this season. It's the most wonderful time of year, walking in a winter wonderland. At least, you know, we kind of think about that here in Texas. Uh, uh, We think about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is coming to town, all these songs that we love in this season. I just want to point out to you, none of those songs include the word curse. (laughs) The curse is not a recurring theme of Christmas. When it comes to Christmas, we're not thinking about cursing in any form hopefully right and so we might ask what does it mean when when the verse speaks of no more thorns and and the father making his blessings flow as far as the curse is found well the answer to that is in Genesis chapter 3 so if you have your Bible I want to invite you to open it to the book of Genesis we're actually going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 1 because understanding Genesis chapter 3 requires that we look a little bit at Genesis chapter 1 uh, if you brought your Bible it's on page 1 if you didn't bring your Bible and the blue Bibles it's also page 1 okay so it's pretty easy to find today uh, Genesis chapter 1 and I'm going to read to you first uh, verses 26 through 28 of the first chapter of Genesis so that we can then understand a little bit more what we're going to find in Genesis chapter 3. So verse 26 of chapter 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in Genesis chapter 1, I want you to notice that at the foundation of this new world that God has brought into being, there are three relationships that serve as the foundation of this new world that God has declared and declares over and over again in Genesis 1, a world that is good. So the first relationship is, is God's relationship with humanity. And notice that humanity, human beings, are created in a way that is distinct from all other living things. Scriptures say that we are created in the image of God. And out of that distinct process, we are given a particular role in all creation. As those who bear the image of God, we are called to bear that image on behalf of the entire world. All creation and all living things. The second relationship is humanity's relationship with with one another. Uh, God says, be fruitful and multiply. And implied in that is this idea that this, this new world that God has created will need attention and it will need care and it's work that you cannot do alone. That you will need others to participate. We must partner with one another if we're to do this work well. And so the relationships that we develop with one another are not only for our own benefit and our own blessing, it's for the benefit and blessing of all creation. 
the entire world, which leads to the last relationship, humanity's relationship with all creation. And this is the role that God says humanity has. You are called to be a ruler. There's two ways you can think about ruler. You can think about the ruler as the one who gets to make the rules. Or you can think about the ruler as the one who takes responsibility for all that has been entrusted to them. And notice that in Genesis chapter 1, God entrusts to humanity everything that God brings into being. Humanity has that role. And these three relationships are at the foundation of this new world. And at the foundation of the, uh, the goodness of the world that God has brought in to being. So what does that have to do with this idea of curse in Genesis chapter 3? Well, we get to Genesis chapter 3 and we're in a garden. A garden where humanity has made uh, their home. And in this garden, there are many things, but one of the things in the garden is a tree uh, whose fruit God tells Adam and Eve they are not to eat of. Uh, and, and of course, they do exactly what you did when mom and dad said, don't touch that, it's hot, right? Uh, they eat of the fruit of, of that tree. But it's important to note why they do. They are deceived into asking themselves a question. And it's a question that humanity has wrestled with since that day. That question is, is God really good? Or is God holding out on us? Is God really good? And the doubt that is uh, that comes out of that question leads to behavior that then creates a fracture in this first relationship. The expression of that is what happens after they eat the fruit. After eating the fruit, Adam and Eve are suddenly aware of their vulnerability. And for the very first time in human history, fear enters into the human experience. And so Adam and Eve decide to play hide and seek with God. And God comes and he asks them where they're hiding. And when God finds them, God asks them what has happened. They, they share with them what has occurred. And, and then in response to that, Adam provides the first excuse in human history. He says to God, the woman you put here with me, she did it. She gave me the fruit. So Adam blames Eve, but notice he also really blames God. <laughs> it wasn't my idea. You're the one who put her here. And then Eve gives Adam the look. Some of you know the look. And then she says to God, well, it was the serpent. It was the serpent that, that, that deceived me. So they, so they hide and they blame. There's a, there's a fracture in this relationship uh, with God and humanity. But notice there's also a fracture in a relationship between Adam and Eve. Humanity's relationship with one another. And part of the implication of that, part of the result of that, is what we find in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read to you a little bit of verse 17. It says this, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground. There is a fracture in the first relationship. It creates a rift in the second relationship. And it undermines the third relationship. 
And this world that God creates, this world that God identifies as good, this, this world is, is built upon, it is meant to be sustained, the ongoing fruitfulness is, is, is meant to be made possible by the health and sustainability of each of these relationships. But as these falter and fail, creation is broken. A curse comes. And the world that once was is not the world that now is. Here's another way of thinking about that. That in the beginning there were no weeds. You think about that for just a moment. In the beginning, there were no weeds. Must have been good, right? No weeds. In the beginning, there were no thorns. There were no thistles. There were no weeds. There was no sin. There was no sorrow. There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was no fear. There was no worry. There was no fighting. There was no war. There were no tears. There was no hurting. There was no heartache. There was no homeless, nor hungry, no death, no disease, no lonely, no loss, no broken. In the beginning, the world that God brings into being is a world absent of anything that was not beautiful or lacking in good. That was the world that once was. But it is not the world we live in today. And we all know that. We see that. We, we, we see an abundance of all the things that were absent in the world that once was. We see all the thorns and all the thistles and all the weeds. We see, we see the sin and the sorrow and the brokenness. We see the incredible dysfunction in each of these relationships. The, hum, the, the relationship that humanity develops with God. The relationships that we have among one another. The relationship that humanity has with all creation. We see dysfunction and brokenness and pain in all of those things. And over on, on top of all of this... There is this shared level of despair that we have as we think about how hard we work to remove those weeds only to have them come back again and again and again and again. And to that world, the world that is, the world that you and I live in every single day, to that world... This book speaks a word of hope. This library of, of 66 books, it, it, it brings a word to that world. The world that is choked full of weeds. And, and I believe you could actually simplify the entire trajectory, the overarching theme of all of the scriptures in this way. That the world that was is the world that will one day be. The Bible actually begins with good news, and it ends with good news as well. That the world that was is the world that will one day be. And in between those two extremes, in between the beginning and the end, we find words like covenant and promise and hope 
and faith. And Christmas is God's shot across the bow of the curse that has infected all of creation. The world that was is the world that will one day be. Some of y'all may know uh, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You may have read that when you were younger. You may have seen one of the many movies that have been made based on the book. It is C.S. Lewis's work uh, about... Uh, uh, the magical land of Narnia. It's, it's an allegory, it's an extended parable that is based on this theme. It's an expression of the Christian faith that is captured in a story of four children who find themselves in this magical world of Narnia by passing through the back of a wardrobe door. And in this world, the central character is a lion, a lion whose name is Aslan. And as the story unfolds, we realize that Aslan, the lion, is someone who has come to save Narnia. The witch, obviously, is the adversary of the lion. The witch is the one who has placed a curse over all of Narnia. And, and Narnia is living under this, this curse. They've been living for quite some time. Here's how another character describes that curse. Uh, he says, it is winter in Narnia and has been forever so long, always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. The story begins to change a bit when rumors begin to spread that Aslan is on the move. But what Aslan does is he comes and he submits himself to the witch's power. He surrenders to her. And the witch ends up killing the great lion, believing that in killing him, she will preserve her rule and reign forever. And no one will be left with the power to break the spell, the curse that she has uh, put on all, all of, of creation. Until rumors begin to spread after his death that Aslan has somehow come back. That Aslan is once again on the move. And it's at that part of the story that we find a passage that I want to read to you this morning. It says this, come on, cried Mr. Beaver who was almost dancing with delight. Come and see, this is a nasty knock for the witch. It looks as if her power is already crumbling. What do you mean, Mr. Beaver, said Peter, as they all scrambled up the steep valley, bank of the valley together. Didn't I tell you, answered Mr. Beaver, that she'd made it always winter but never Christmas? Didn't I tell you? Well, just come and see. And then they were all at the top and did see. It was a sledge and it was reindeer with bells on their harness. But they were far bigger than the witch's reindeer. They were not white but brown. And on the sledge sat a person whom everyone knew the moment they set eyes on him. He was a huge man in a bright red robe, bright as holly berries. With a hood that had fur inside it and a great white beard that fell like a foamy waterfall over his chest. Everyone knew him because though you see people of his sort only in Narnia, you see pictures of them and you hear them talked about even in our world, the world on this side of the wardrobe door. But when you really see them in Narnia, it is rather different. Some of the pictures of Father Christmas in our world would make him look only funny and jolly. 
But now that the children actually stood looking at him, they didn't find him quite like that. He was so big and so glad and so real that they all became quite still. They felt very glad, but also solemn. I've come at last, he said. She has kept me out for a long time, but I have gotten in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. And Lucy felt running through her that deep shiver of gladness, which you only get if you are being solemn and still. When Aslan comes, the snow begins to melt. And a season of always winter but never Christmas, a season that had gone on for so long, that season begins to change. The witch's magic begins to weaken because once again, Aslan is on the move. In the beginning, there were no weeds. There was no sickness, no sorrow, no sin. No lack of hope, no hungry, no homeless, no hurting, no broken, no fighting, no war, no sorrow, no pain. The world that once was lacked anyone who was lost who was absent of anything that was not beautiful or lacking in good, there were no weeds. And so I want to invite you to hear this today. That if in your life today there are weeds, whatever they might be, I want you to hear that they were never intended to be there. And they are not God's desire for your life which is why the Savior comes. Jesus comes to fight for you. Jesus comes to rescue you. Jesus comes to tend to the garden that is your life. Jesus comes to remove the weeds, to make the Father's blessings flow, Jesus comes to break the curse. And Christmas is a reminder that God is on the move again. And when God begins to move, the world and lives begin to change. We live at a time when we have but a taste of what the world will one day be. But it's a reminder that we have not been left alone. That there is someone who is coming for us to fight for us, to set us free, to break the curse. And this is what it means when we sing joy to the world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And this is why my prayer for you in these weeks, among all the other things that you will experience, 
is that you will also experience a deep shiver of gladness knowing that God is on the move. Will you pray with me? Loving God, today we acknowledge and we confess that there are weeds in our life. There are those, Lord, that we have shared with others and those that remain a secret. Weeds that have hurt us and hurt others. Sin in our life that has brought pain and brokenness. Words that have been shared and words that have been heard that have, that have diminished life. Relationships that are unreconciled. Lord, maybe today there are some who are dreading seeing that person this Christmas because no one has yet said, I'm sorry. And all that pain is still there. Some walking through seasons of sorrow, some, Lord, who are fighting with disease. Some, Lord, who find themselves hurting with heartache. And all of us together with a longing for the world that will one day be. And so with one another and with all the saints who have come before us, we pray the prayer, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. And tend to the soil of our souls. Jesus, come. We welcome you. And as you come, we sing. We sing joy for all the world. In Jesus' name, amen.